know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we choose one year at random and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. And I tell you, punk-adjacent is doing the heavy lifting this week. <laughs> yeah, there, there will be some genre parsing <laughs> on this episode. Yes, we are... We are gimmickless today, besides our just original concept of the show, which is already a gimmick. We've consistently been hat on a hat on a hat with this podcast since day, <laughs> basically day one. Yeah, we are. And as far as this being a, a normal gimmick episode, <laughs> we're not even doing the original gimmick of the show. We haven't for a very long time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, people weren't really thrilled to be talking about like, oh, late era Stranglers records, huh? But. We're doing the version that we kind of eventually evolved the show into. But before we get into that, if you head on over to our Patreon, you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio. Our most recent piece of audio up there is, and I'm listening, where Dylan and I talked about the albums we listened to over the last month or so. We also did a little recap of uh, the live shows we each went to. Uh, Dylan went and saw the band Plosives, and I went and saw Jawbreaker. So if you're wondering what our experience was like going to see those bands... Head on over there and check that out. You also get access to all of the new release updates, which is where I pick three albums that came out that week to discuss and uh, give you some recommendations and some new tunes. Last week, I recommended new albums by Warriors, Bedtime Magic, and Subsonic Eye. So you could check those out. Those are weekly. And then we have all of our other gimmicks. We've got uh, Moon Pies for Misfits which I believe you can see the Mountain Dew Voodoo 2023. Uh, there's a Phantom Mystery flavor that I've uh, filmed. I'll probably post that this week. And then there's a brand new Coke Creations that uh, I recorded a video for, too. So expect those in the coming weeks. And yeah, lots, lots of value over there for your $1 over 200 posts on Patreon. So it's funny. I think we have like we're going to surpass like the main show number count like fairly soon so that that's kind of fun to imagine but that's patreon.com slash punk pod if you also would like to choose the album we devote an entire episode to you can join at the ten dollar tier just do the one time ten dollar and then you just let us know what you want us to devote an episode to so we got some of those being discussed with some of our patrons yeah that's all the main gist of everything so this week we're doing Here's a year, pick a record. Pretty standard. So Dylan chose the last album we did, so it was my turn to choose something. So I was given the year 2005, and what a year it was. Uh, what, what what was the year that it was, Dylan? Uh, 2005? So we said punk adjacent doing the heavy lifting <laughs> on this episode and genre parsing. 2005 is a year that very much necessitates you to selecting something punk adjacent and having to like dissect the genres and find the um, punk kernel uh, <laughs> that's buried. If you're looking at better or worse, we're on right. Your music, mm -hmm. if you're looking at what right. Your music says the popular punk stuff is there's so much post punk revival <laughs> in this year. Oh man. 
It reminds me, somebody made a really funny LCD sound system joke the other day at work, and I, I cannot remember what it, <laughs> what it was, but I really, it wasn't the time for me to chime in and riff some more, but I absolutely could have been like, oh yeah, I saw the dude from LCD sound system do a, a noise set in Asheville, North Carolina. It was awful. Uh, <laughs> what else? There's Strokes, there's Daft Punk, there's National, there's Franz Ferdinand. Oh, so much of that stuff. Yeah. We got your emo, uh, pop punk, emo pop stuff. We got your Fall Out Boys and your Panic at the Discos and the very first Paramore album. Should have done that one to just do the whole set. Keep those going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we... We got some metal core going on up in here. We got some between the buried and me uh, band not canceled. Kind of one dude's canceled. <laughs> they kicked him out, right? I think he's out. They're like did, playing shows. <laughs> or do they sideline him? I don't know. I don't know. They're like playing like furnace and like first and flight fest. So like, I don't know. Uh, but we also got some bullet from a ballot ballantine. <laughs> Bull for my Valentine Trivium. Oh yeah. Remember when that Trivium record came out and everybody was like, they just ripped off Metallica. Sure. I guess. <laughs> where I don't know, were people really mad at them for doing Metallica better than Metallica was doing Metallica at that time? I mean <laughs> better is debatable, I guess. Trivium's not a good band. <laughs> yeah. Dylan, if you were the guest if you were the guest, if you were assigned the year, what album would you have selected for us to talk about? Hmm. <laughs> well, we could do commit this to memory. Yeah, that's a classic there. That's that's an all time pop punk record. If I were feeling adventurous and wanting to do a lot of work. <laughs> I have a sinister urge to say I'd be interested in listening to The Code is Red, Long Live the Code by Napalm Death. Jesus. I probably wouldn't actually end up picking that one, but I would I would look at it. I would send you a screenshot of it. <laughs> be like, should we? And you would say no. Yeah, that'd be the end of it. Not that one. Let's we can do scum. You yeah, know. <laughs> do a more important one. That one's pretty important, though, I think, in their discography. It's a it's a late career big pop for them as far as like they did. They probably toured on that record with like some metal, core, big metal core bands at the time. Probably like the Red Chord or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Open Season by by uh, Sea Power. That's that'd be my post punk revival pick. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, it's the second Sea Power record, um, and probably the one that I think everybody for some reason was like they sound like Joy Division. I've never once thought Sea Power ever sounded like Joy Division. They don't sound like Joy Division at all. <laughs> for some reason, that was the touchstone. Like, who has those silky vocals? <laughs> With where are you getting that in Joy Division? Mm. What is who does he sing like? Like like a British Brian Adams. 
<laughs> he's got a little bit of that like yeah type to his voice yeah <laughs> i mean yeah this war on drugs sounds like sea power um, <laughs> i mean maybe there's a touch of bono in there i don't know i don't know even, not even though because bono is still so like got a lot of power in his voice like yeah. that's that is bizarre yeah new order i could almost hear but even then it's no uh, pretty big stretch no you know it's pretty emotive too in vocals yeah i don't know I'm, I'm, yeah i know what you mean though there is like someone that there's a similarity to but a little bit like the dude from the wedding present but he's got more of a morrissey thing happening too mm, what else could i talk about undoing ruin by darkest hour That'd be a fun one to do. Uh, I love that record. People are I, like, they sold out with that record, I guess. But because there's clean singing on it. But yeah, I guess. I guess it's like I, the beginning of the end for them as far as like quality albums. But I revisited that one last year and it's, it's pretty enjoyable. It holds up. Well, as usual, we tend to like pick a couple and then send each other like, what about this one? Have you seen this one? Is this one good? <laughs> <laughs> I get you know, joke. you know what I'm referencing. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, OK, OK, uh, I got three. I'm leaning. Usually whenever we do that, we're like, I got three I'm thinking about. But we're usually just really thinking about one of them. It's we send <laughs> each other three. But like the finger taps on the <laughs> one that I want you to pick. Like that guy did to me whenever I went to go vote and he pointed at Bernie Sanders whenever <laughs> like he was like, all you do is you should fill out this bubble. And then <laughs> tap, tap, tap. I was like, that's the one I'm filling. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't even have to look at the rest of the names now. <laughs> yeah, it is very much like that's the one you're holding when you hand. <laughs> uh, the first one I really considered, it was the Soviets LP3. Now, for the longest time, this was the only Soviets album that you could listen to. Well, you could listen to the Rarities compilation as well, um, because the first two Soviets records were originally on. What label was that? Like Adeline or something like that. The one that the Green Day guys used to own and they were out of print. They, I don't think they even, they probably like sold the label to somebody else like a major. And so you couldn't get the first two Soviets albums to listen to. Uh, but you could listen to LP3 because it was released on, was that Fat Rick? Yeah, Fat Rick did that one. So I was like, okay, I love the Soviets. I would love to do one of their records. They're an awesome, awesome Midwest pop punk band. And But I was also kind of like, but not that one. I like I like the first two the most, and the first one the most out of the t- those two. Thankfully, you can hear the new ones thanks to the reissues. They got remastered and reissued, so they're back up on streaming. But it was also one of those bands where I was kind of like, I don't know how much there is to really say about them. They'd be one of the, it'd be like one where you have to like cover the whole discography just because you're like there's not a lot to say about LP3. But uh, and my other option was a little deeper, and I was thinking of Wow Owls. Pick your patterns. Which is like. Is that like the only real full length Wow Owls album? They have some other stuff out there, but like this is like the one record. Like this is the one to listen to. And they're they're a really cool band. What they are they a Richmond band? I think they're a Richmond band. 
Yeah, they are. It would have been cool to kind of do like a deeper dive on them just because I I don't know a ton about them. They are they are one of those bands where it's like everybody in the band also played in like a million other bands. So like there would have been a lot to talk about there, I guess. But I don't know. I was just kind of like, eh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I really want to talk about my third one, though. That's my real that's my real one I want to talk about. So I pulled the year 2005 and selected Nobody's Darlings by Lucero. Stats on the band. So Lucero are from Memphis, Tennessee. They formed in 1998. Released May 24th, 2005 on Liberty and Lament Records, which is their own record label that they formed after their previous label, Tiger Style, went out of business. The record was released on vinyl on Sabo Records. And this is the band's fourth studio album. I have a something to nitpick about the reviews from this time period. And the person on this album is John C. Stubblefield on bass. Roy Berry on drums, Brian Venable on guitar, parentheses, right, Ben Nichols on guitar, parentheses, left, and vocals. And the album was produced by Jim Dickinson, who has produced music by the Flying Burrito Brothers, Ry Cooter, Big Star, and The Replacements. And they had made a connection to Jim Dickinson because Jim's two sons were in the band North Mississippi All-Stars, and they have played with them and are like, like most of the band, I think, is on one of their albums. Interestingly, I've never listened to that band to know anything about it. But yeah, so there was already a connection there to Jim Dickinson. So they're like, hey, you want to do our record? Because you did Please to Meet Me, you know, replacements. We definitely wanted to work with you. So, all right, Lucero, Lucero. Do you remember, God, this is one of those bands, like Lucero means so much to both of us that it's really hard to even remember, like, where I started with them. Do you remember how you started with them? So, man, that's a tough one. Because I was in college. I remember that much. My earliest memories with Lucero are listening to... Oh, here's this. So I'm, I'm looking at my last FM. I think the first Lucero record I listened to was Tennessee. Hmm. Wow. January 1st, 2010. Why did I land on that record then? I think that I got into them through you recommending them. And... So, like, my earliest memories are listening to them in college, and I very distinctly, very early on remember the Day Trotter session. Mm, yeah. Hearing that pretty early. So, but I, I don't know where that falls. I don't know what the first thing, what, what my first real exposure to them was, other than I know that you had recommended them, and I knew that they were kind of, they were like Gaslight Anthem would cover them sometimes. Like they were kind of in that realm of like this alt country band that like the punk, the Springsteen core punk bands were into. Do you know what song they covered? 
They would have covered. They used to do the war with Tim Barry. Okay. Pretty often, I think. That feels like one they would do. I feel like they probably covered something else. Yeah, I I think they were they were regularly covering the war on the American Slang Tour. So my introduction to them was actually through a friend of the show, Grant from Bitter Melody Records. And uh, he introduced them to me. I definitely remember we were just like riding around and he's like, you ever heard this band? Because he was just like going through his like MP3 player and like his Zune and trying to decide what to listen to. And I was like, I don't think so. Like, I didn't know too much. Back then, we used to call them Lucero uh, before we learned how to actually pronounce it. But he put it on. And I was like, yeah, it sounds cool. I don't remember... Yeah, I, I liked what I heard, but I didn't like know an album or anything specifically from them. And he, he pitched them to me. He's like, yeah, they're like these punk dudes. They like played in like a punk band before they started this kind of country band. And so that's that was like my gateway to them. The first album I ever bought by them was Rebels, Rogues and Scoundrels. I remember I bought that on CD from Best Buy. And then because I was like, I, uh, what I heard, liked what I heard. So I put that on it. Really liked that album that later bought that much further west on CD as well. Uh, this is before I was buying vinyl. Bought that in Asheville. You were with me um, at Harvest Records. And that might, maybe that was when you heard them for the first time. I don't know. But, and then it just like from there, it was just like going to see them live, getting as many of their albums as I could. I think 1372 was the Overton Park was the first album that came out that was new after I'd become a fan. The Ones You Wait For album. And I remember then we were like, whoa, they had like a horn section in here. This is wild. You know, I really like it. You know, it's really good. And yeah, just over the years, just like listen to everything they've put out since then. Gone back and listened to everything. Like Lucero is a top five, top ten band for me. Like they are one of my all-time favorite bands. And so when it popped up on like the punk chart that I used to look at to see like what what to uh, choose from for us to talk about, I was like, hmm, is Nobody's Darlings like the most punk record in their discography? And I think it might be. Because like listening to like some of the early, early stuff, there's the punk scrappiness on like the self-titled in Tennessee, but they they feel more country than this album does. And that much further west actually feels a little bit more. It doesn't have like the punk energy as much on that record, which is probably my favorite Lucero album. And so, yeah, Nobody's Darlings. I was like, this might be the one this might be like the most punk we could get away with doing a Lucero episode, which not that like our listeners are going to be like, I can't believe this podcast is talking about a Lucero record. Like they, our listeners listen to Lucero for the most part, at least the ones I know, you know, (laughs) a lot of our, yeah, a lot of our loyal listeners are also big Lucero fans. (laughs) Yeah. And they come from punk music. Like they started, you know, Ben was in a band called Ben for, or, um, called Red 40, which was very much like a a Jawbreaker style punk band. They do a cover of Kiss the Bottle by Jawbreaker, which they do that cover so well that honestly, it's Lucero's song now. Like they took because that was like a B-side, right? Like Kiss the Bottle's on like etc. Yeah, it's a, it was a thrown away Jawbreaker song. And they're like, 
Lucera's like, oh yeah, this is like a country song. Uh, and yeah, they gave it the twang. And then it's like, oh yeah, Lucero made that song like their own to the point where now like when I go see Jawbreaker, like I saw Jawbreaker and they played Kiss the Bottle and I was like, Lucero does it better. Yeah. <laughs> Which now doesn't Lucero's like say like, no, oh, Jawbreaker's back together. You got to go see them. You got to go see them to see if you want to hear that one. It's like, it's like but oh, you... but you did it better. <laughs> it's fine. It was only a B-side for them. <laughs> And yeah, like there's that just like all the punk bands, you know, Ben was part of the revival tour with Chuck Reagan and Tim Barry. So like they've definitely always had a foot in punk music. Brian Venable's like a skateboarder and like covered in <laughs> tattoos and like so like, yeah, uh, they're so, a punk root at, at their core. Yeah, they're they're So that's the thing. As far as like the genre parsing, we started to talk about this like what genre they're classified at what rate your music is currently obsessed with now going back and revising everything that's called alt country. They're just like starting to tag it with country rock now. And I'm like, that's unnecessary. Country rock is a direct influence and predecessor to alt country as a genre. And as a scene, it's unnecessary to say alt to say country rock, unless they're doing a flying burrito brothers throwback. Like, <laughs> This is not a country rock record. It doesn't sound like a boogie rock record. If you put a country rock rock on 1372 or 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 women in work, like the really boogie rock, like Rolling Stones sounding Lucy Air records. OK, that makes sense. But alt country, this falls very, very firmly in the Sun Vault, Uncle Tupelo, 90s alt country. Uh, you know, you're you're picking up from uh, one of the predecessors with the 80s stuff not cowpunk per se because there's a thing the difference between cowpunk and alt country to me is that cowpunk is punks doing country as a joke (laughs) and alt country is punks doing country for real with maybe a little self-awareness but but they're doing it because they really do like it and Lucero is alt country in that way of being punks doing country, but also slightly removed a few degrees by being primarily punks that just like Sunvolt and uh, Uncle Tupelo, not necessarily punks that also listen to country music. Because I, they, I feel like they've said this, and I, I generally get the impression that Lucero, most of the members at least the core original members don't listen to that much real country music. Uh, no, because I, I don't know uh, when this, these playlists were put together, but if you go to Lucero's Spotify page, they have this, like all the members like made a playlist of things that they're listening to. And I was like, okay, what's everybody listening to? So I looked up John Stubblefield. He's listening to flogging Molly, social distortion. He's got Gene Clark on here. Roxy Music, Dusty Springfield, The Sword, Jawbreaker, Tribe Called Quest, Bad Brains. Nothing like super duper cut. Like you're not doing a super country list. I did pull up Rick Steff. He's their piano player. He's listening to The Stylistics, The Move, King Crimson, Roberta Flack, Aretha Franklin, Jackson 5, Gladys Knight, Mott the Hoople, Bowie. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Uh, But if you look at Ben's, Mogwai. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, The Cure, The Sword. They toured with The Sword a lot. That's probably why they put them on there. Yeah. 
Foreigner, Constantine's, Sturgill Simpson, <laughs> Stevie Nicks, Dire Straits, Warren Zevon, U2, The Police. Like, these are not, these aren't country guys. Brian only has five or six songs. No, he's got a couple more. But he's got, like, Suicide and Christy Front Drive and, yeah, Zarface and Ghostface Killer. <laughs> you know, like, so the drummer didn't do one. But <laughs> he's, he's, he's listening to, like, fucking, like, Fortet albums and yeah because he's and like the drummer is like he, he's in like an electronic musician too he does like drum samples on like loops like on the yeah. side which is why you always hear or like these weird drum patterns yeah yeah he's really into like max roach percussion only albums yeah so i think lucero is interested in country in a you're right. I feel like it probably is like more from like a, a romantic aesthetic approach than necessarily like they're just like big country fans in the same way that like Ben's brother, Jeff Nichols, is a director and like his movies all have like that southern country aesthetic to it because they grew up in like I think they actually grew up in Alabama on the other side. No, Arkansas on the other side of yeah. the Mississippi. And they had these this movies had like, you know, mud and um take shelter and shotgun stories. Like they're just like Southern noir stories that uses like a country, you know, aesthetic and veneer <laughs> to, to it. think there's an there's an aesthetic choice that is like you know it's rooted in like country imagery and like rural imagery southernness and they definitely have like the accents so that it's kind of one of those things where it's like i feel like ben's accent and his voice is always gonna sound pretty country it's always gonna read as country so it's kind of one of those things where you just lean into that but it's also like it's like Tom Petty isn't country, but like 
he sounds like he sounds like the state of Florida. <laughs> like, have I told you my my Ben Nichols accent conspiracy theory that it's fake? I think it's accentuated. I don't. I think he's from Arkansas and he know and he has that ac- he has that accent, but I've heard him on stage talking into the microphone. And when he's talking fast, you don't hear that draw. Yeah. And I think he like plays it up just a bit. The oh yeah. shucks. Oh, <laughs> hey, all right. You know, I like the <laughs> I I see that. It I think it's one of those I I feel like it's my accent it comes out more when I'm mad (laughs) and it it also depends on who I'm talking to. Like there's, there's just certain people where it's just naturally like it's it's going to come out more. It's mostly family that if I'm talking to where it's going to come out a lot more, but like it's, but it's there. I mean, it's there. Yeah. It's there in a lot of subtle ways, but yeah. So all country is, it's an interesting genre. It's kind of along the similar lines of Americana. I think alt country is a more useful term than Americana because it does get at more specifically what it is trying to do. Americana is something that is broad and it's really only useful for like a for like a market term. But like alt country, you're like, all right, alternative rock is probably a big part of it, which that's definitely like a big the replacements like. Them working with Jim Dickinson, you're like, oh, he's worked with, you know, Flying Burrito Brothers and and uh, Ry Cooter, Ry Cooter. And I'm like, yeah, that tracks. But and the replacements, I'm like, oh, no, there it is. That's why. That's what they want to do. They wanted to do the replacements with a with a southern accent, Mississippi River backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. Replacements. An Uncle Tupelo, that's probably like the two things that they are like most modeled after. That list of stuff that they listen to is probably more recent stuff they've gotten into than anything. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you were to get like a hold of them in nineteen ninety eight and be like, What do you guys want to do? I don't know, let's do like replacements. Like I feel like that's what they were doing. And they're yeah. just like, just do a little twang to it. Because they're southern and it's easy to just throw that in there. You know, put that accent in there. Like if you listen to Red Forty, the the punk band that Ben was in before which you can rules uh really good stuff um came out on nate powell the uh comic graphic novelist his record label i think it's on Bandcamp. you can listen to the red 40 like complete discography and there's a it's like jawbreaker with the twang like there's a twang to it race car driver is like the big song on that record which feels the most like a lucero song and it has a twang to it so like it was always there in a way, like in a veil thing, too. Like a veil is definitely all taught plays up their southernness, though it doesn't really like necessarily come across in their music that much because they were like borderline, like a melodic hardcore band. Yeah. So like the southernness doesn't like it's not as like prominent. It's more in like what they sing about and like the imagery with a veil. But I bet a veil was an influence, too. Now that I think about that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, for sure. But they were so in like. Lucero was I, the scene that they were a part of, too, I do think plays a lot into their like where they are as like an alt country being in Memphis and being in that region. Like they were playing with like Corey Brandon, a, a ton of the name drop him in a, in a song. And that's they were in a like country ish Americana singer songwriter kind of scene. There's the soul influence, too. And that is 
I mean, when you're dealing with like Stax records, your you know Southern Soul type stuff, like I often say that Southern Soul and country music are the same genre, <laughs> but the drummer is doing something different, <laughs> and that's kind of the difference. And that's kind of where like alt country too is like the rhythm section is doing rock mostly. <laughs> anyway, g- genre hair splitting. Uh, side, <laughs> we should probably actually talk about this record because it's really good. Before we get into the record, I did want to take a look at what Alt Country was doing in 2005, just to see like what this compares to. Um, of course, right, your music is a ridiculous website with the liberal use of some terms, except punk. They never want to use punk, right? But whatever. Uh, and so we've got like Bright Eyes number one. I'm like, <sighs> right. It's it's indie folk. Uh, we got a couple canceled people on mm. this list uh one has three fucking albums that year god damn it that dude put out too much shit you know who it is um <laughs> we got the silver jews on there i i guess I, yeah i guess i would i wouldn't say i wouldn't get mad at anybody saying it somebody tagged against me that too like searching for a form of clarity i'm like mm, not really it's folk punk it's their yeah it's their, their background um, but the ones that like really actually did kind of like stand out to me. God, fuck another canceled one. Um, Sunvolt released Okima and the Melody of Riot. That record rules. This is Great. the direct direct response. You know, the direct Uncle Tupelo connection there. I actually re-listened to that record this week just to get you know in the right head headspace. And Sunvolt is like, oh yeah, I listen to Sunvolt and I go, that's what Lucero is doing. Like they're doing that genre of music. More so than most of these other bands on here. Like that Frank Black record has an alt country and country rock as the main genres. I don't know if I've ever listened to Honeycomb. Maybe I'd like that one. And then there's like people like like Vic Chestnut's on here. He's mainly singer songwriter, though, to me. Richmond Fontaine's on here. They are one that I would actually fit in, fit in with like the alt country sound. Richmond Fontaine are like from Portland, Oregon. So they have like a completely different approach to it. Later members start to play in the Delines. There are actually two Fridgeman Fontaine albums in 2005, too. The Fitzgerald and Obliteration by Time. And there's like a John Doe record that year. There's a Colexico record. Mm-hmm. There's a Langhorn Slim record, which yeah. it's interesting to see him classified as all country. I don't think it's wrong, but I don't think it's how he would have been classified then. And I was kind of curious. I was like, where are the punk versions of this? And this year's not really that strong for that. David Dondero is like the only one. Like, I don't see a Drag the River. I don't see a Whiskey and Co. Like, I don't see any of those bands. Maybe they hadn't quite really taken off yet, but or Junior Juggernaut. Like, there's like a, there were a ton of bands like doing the doing the Lucero from punk music approach later, but not so much this year. But but yeah, that was just kind of like I wanted to get like a quick little glimpse into what the uh what the scene was kind of looking like at the time and yeah and country music broadly in 2005 is <laughs> pretty ble- is pretty bleak <laughs> oh yeah this is post 9-11 country music so what are we what what are we messing with here like lone star uh, um uh, who did i just see there's like a um carrie underwood carrie underwood nickel creek yeah, you so an an even further adjacent conversation is you've got your new grass, you've got your you've got your NPR country, yeah, uh, and folk based stuff. You've got your Abigail Washburn, you've got your that stuff. The the 
gentrification of hillbilly music era. <laughs> um, the post O oh Brother Art Bell. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's let's get into the actual record itself. Nobody's Darlings, their fourth album. So I kept seeing reviews around this time that were like one called it their seventh album and another one called it their sixth. And I was like, how the fuck are you getting that number? Okay. Let's say you count out attic tapes. That still only puts it at five. I don't count out attic tapes because it's a demo. It They recorded on an eight track in like Ben's dad's uh, uh, attic. So like, and then a lot of those songs got re-recorded for the self-titled record. So yeah. it's a demo. So people are counting eight paces to Jackson. No, they're not counting that. They're counting the two live things. The live at Cat's Cradle, which has generic artwork that lots of bands had for a live at Cat's Cradle CD. So I'm like, well, what one? Why are you counting this? This is probably sold by Cat's Cradle, not the band, (laughs) you know, and two, they're count. They're counting Dreaming in America, which was like the soundtrack to the documentary that is about them. But it's like live stuff. So it's basically a live record. I'm like, these are not records. So that's why I put it on like the, it's their fourth studio album. Yeah. Because not the seventh. I mean, yes, technically it's the seventh full length they've released. But yeah. Anyway, writing back then was weird. That's when they were calling it CDs. (laughs) Yeah. of Lucero is probably my favorite. The Tennessee through through Rebels Rogues is like my favorite era of Lucero. It's got the countryness to it. It's got the punk edge to it. Rebels Rogues, I guess, is maybe leaning slightly more social distortion with that one. But even then, it's still a continuation of their sound. Because everything after Rebels Rogues feels like a, I'm, wait, 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 I'm doing a thing. Uh, let me go first let me go first i'm doing a thing um because like 1372 and women at work they're doing like the stack soul sound with theirs then they did their warren zevon record it's really what they were doing with that one their 80s warren zevon record and then they did their like civil war album (laughs) among the ghosts which is it's like essentially like their country folk record and then they did their like psych album after that, their country psych record. And it's not until this year's album where they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, let's do the thing we used to do. Because like he even said, Ben said when they were like putting this record together, they're like, we had all these songs we wrote while the last two while we were making the last two records that we didn't use because it didn't fit 
he's like, it didn't fit what I was going for on those albums. And I was like, you mean they weren't fun rock and roll bar songs? <laughs> like, but that kind of simplifies the Lucero sound from this time period because it's not just fun rock and roll bar songs. It's sad rock and roll bar songs. Yeah. Nobody's Darlings especially is dreary. <laughs> How, uh, w- where does this album rank for you in the Lucero discography? My favorite is is that much further west. I would say 1372 is really important to me because it is it's the one that came out when I was got into them. I I honestly between that one, Nobody's Darlings and Tennessee, like which one is second place changes pretty often. I I have a pretty hard time ranking those classic Lucera records and because I, I feel like I can just put any one of those on at any time. I guess the difference to me is like, is the mood like Tennessee is like a pretty neutral mood, but it also works if I'm like, I feel kind of nostalgic. It's probably the one that like I most associate with the East Coast with being in North Carolina. Um, Nobody's Darlings though is is the dark one. It's like the angry sad one and 1372 is like the fun one it's just like this is just fun it's like i don't have to i don't want to think about it i don't want to like i want to have fun while i'm listening to this record i don't want to be wistful (laughs) or (laughs) bummed out at all like so yeah it's up there though so it's basically tied for second place well uh, I I was kind of like ranking them in my head earlier, and yeah, there's certain moods where like I want to listen to something other than like some one of the other records. But like I go I go that much further west than Tennessee, and then I was like, and then this one's probably like my third favorite record by them. And I was like, oh yeah, because it's it's tapping into that same overall sound during this period. I think Rebels is fun and in the same vein of music, but it just like is lacking those like. It's lacking those like big time Lucero songs. Like it's lacking a Nobody's Darlings. It's lacking a a uh, sweet little thing. You know, like stuff like the iconic Lucero live show staples. You know, and I think I think Nobody's Darlings actually has quite a few of the live show staples on it. And yeah, it, it it's one of their best records. And it's like the type of mood that I'm or and sound that I'm always like hoping that they'll come back to. And like, I like the other records they did later, but the newest record was the first time where I felt like oh, they're doing it again. They're, they're doing it. It's about drunks in a bar again. You know, like that's kind of like most of the records have songs about being drunk on them and people making bad decisions and like being sad about stuff. And this one, I don't feel like it has like a, a starlight on it. That's the one where I'm always like, Oof, that's a that's a gut punch of a song <laughs> but it's got like let me look at the track listing it's got your your angelis it's got nobody's darlings with the shove and play that guitar part and the it's got yeah this one's got 16 which is just about like someone making the wrong decision when they were 16 years old and yeah noon is dark as midnight man yeah, I, looking at these songs, I'm like, oh, yeah, these there's a lot of them on this record. <laughs> this is one of the sadder Lucero records conceptually. But, yeah, this record kicks off with Watch It Burn, which has all the hail rats in, <laughs> in it, you know, and the uh-huh. Like, this, like it's just like the hail rat, 
I'm Ben Nichols, you know. Which, if you were following Lucero up to this point, it's it's interesting to look at the sequence of their records to go Tennessee that much further west to this record. And it starts off with Watch It Burn. It's such a, like, it's a very different move for them because they, I feel like they tended to be a little more, like, t- uh, Tennessee starts with Sweet Little Thing. It's just, like, it's, a, it's kind of a slow song. Like, That Much Further West is, like, again, it's a record that kind of builds more. Nobody, nobody's Darlings right out the gate is Watch It Burn. This is, like, this is the shit kicking Lucero record. <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny to think of them as being an alt country band, you know, of guys that come from punk, but their first three, four record three records are way more out into country than where they would kind of wind up. They really get more rock and punk based as they go along. Cause in Nobody's Darlings has Angela is a pretty hard song. Noon as dark as midnight is super heavy. Last night in town. I mean, bike riders is like kind of fast. Like it's probably like the most punky tempo. I mean, they have fast, you know, they do have upbeat, fast stuff on, you know, the prior records. But this one is the most consistently like kind of like driving and rocking and in your face. I wonder how much of that is due to. I don't know that I knew this, but. Brian like left the band after Tennessee and he's not on that much further West and he rejoins on nobody's darlings. And while I never really knew that that much further West still feels enough like a, like Ben that it continues that, that it didn't feel like a a change had happened in songwriting because I think Ben is probably the main songwriter. And then Brian is like, all right, here's the solo I'm going to do. And like, here's the riff that I have to go with the song, like the opening riff to go with the song. Cause if you listen to this record, it's interesting that they tagged it. Ben was left and, and Brian was right guitar because the whole record, I'm like that left guitar is like, it's lower. It's like scuzzier, kind of like, just like fuzzier, um, little swampy. And like all the leads and all the solos are on Brian's side. So it's funny to hear like a, 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 a line down the record to be like, that's what Ben's guitar sounds like. And that's what Brian's guitar sounds like. Cause for the longest time, I've always been like, who's doing what on the records. I feel like most of the acoustic stuff is probably Ben. Cause he does it all live. Yeah. But yeah, this is the first time where I was like, oh, okay, you know, all the shit kicking licks. That's all Brian. <laughs> Whereas yeah. Ben's probably doing the melodies on everything. Yeah. I mean, Brian Venable is a really interesting guitarist. Cause he's, He's very, I want to say he's pretty self-taught as a guitarist. He definitely talks about like not being like a country guitarist. He's definitely not like he doesn't do. He doesn't do all of the country lead guitar playing that you would expect a band like this to have. He does like it's much more bluesy, like rock influenced guitar playing. But but even even in so far as like his his techniques aren't like he's not doing all the like big pre-bend chords and third licks and chicken picking. And he's not doing all the country guitar technical stuff. He is generally occupying the lane that a lead guitarist in a honky tonk band does. And in that he's kind of soloing the entire song, Mm -hmm. 
like so often like unless there's like a you know like a you know a really riffy part in the song while ben is singing brian is mostly pushing like single line melodies and he does these really interesting like like he follows he follows ben's phrasing vocally he like so much of what he's doing as a lead guitarist is like reinforce reinforcing the vocal melody but adding this kind of like pentatonic harmony to it i really really like brian venable as a guitar player i i think he is not technical or flashy or showy but just very very tasteful and like always engaging is really enjoyable to just follow what he's doing a lot of like he doesn't you know he doesn't get like too far in the weeds of like chromatic stuff but a lot of like not hitting the note but hitting like good harmony note he's like a nice third or fifth he's just like he's hitting a nice harmonious note that isn't exactly the note and then getting to the note that you expect him to get to there's a lot of like delayed and then hitting it like it's it it's interesting i don't know i can't exactly describe what he's doing theoretically but i don't think that he can either so like that's not the goal (laughs) so i'm i'm just out of curiosity i'm like going through all the songs right now and just like i'm like which ones are the the brian's kicking it off songs which ones are like the more like oh no this is like the little slower bin uh bin song watch it burn easily brian kicks it off angeli brian's kicking that off with that you know bike riders is a little more riffy a little bit more like ringing out type stuff 16 starts acoustic Nobody's Darlings feels like a Ben acoustic intro. But then And We Fell has like the fun guitar lead intro there. California is like a rocker. News Darkest Midnight, that feels a little slower. Same with Hold Me Close. But then Last Night in Town's got this kicker. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, you can tell like who's doing like what guitar wise. And like it feels like maybe this record feels like so much of this kind of record because like it's Brian's return to the band. And that's why you're like, let's rock with this one. You know, like. Let's let's knock it out of the park, you know, and they do, because like when I think of Lucero and if somebody's like, hey, uh, I want to get into this band, what record should I start with? And I feel like Nobody's Darlings might be the perfect record to start with, because like if you give them Tennessee first, so many people who started with Tennessee first because they were Lucero fans early, early on stop at tennessee like they're like yeah tennessee's the best one and then there's nothing else after this comes close you know whereas whenever you enter them when they've got a pretty sizable discography you get to like pick and choose your favorites you know so like that's why i think you and i land on that much further west instead of tennessee as our favorites just because of like when we got into them they already had all these other records to choose from but i do feel like if you're like what record represents lucero the best in their entire discography i'd probably give them this and maybe Weirdly, I'd consider Women in Work, too. I feel like Women in Work is a good example of the back half of the catalog, and it doesn't feel as stack-soundy as 1372 does. Yeah, yeah. 1372 coming out when it did, like, it was, it felt like it was a big, like, it was like, oh, hey, they did. I tried to make a mental note to myself, don't do Ben Nichols' impression the entire time. But... (laughs) Hey, what do you mean? What do you mean, though? It um, that record felt like, oh, Gaslight Anthem did that retro record 59 sound and it was a big deal. 
<laughs> let's do our retro record. You know, I mean, yeah. not that it was that, not that it was that like cynical, like, you know, we're, we gotta, we gotta do a, a gimmick record to, to get a hit, but it was just like, Oh, Hey, that's, that's cool. I like that. Let's do something retro. We like that. I, that fits, that fits our sound. That fits the kind of characters that I write about, you know, this era too. It's like, you know, Calexico is kind of taking off during this time period. And while they're borrowing more from like Latin music is like yeah. their big influence. Like it's kind of like this, like, Oh yeah, we can do like other things too. Like we don't have to just try and do like uncle Tupelo again and again, you know, which I don't think, I don't feel like they were like, how many more uncle Tupelo clones can we make? You know, I don't think it was that, but like, yeah, that 1372 is the beginning of them being like, we can do a thing. <laughs> and Nobody's Darlings to me is like, it's the most raw without being like literally their rawest record. Like, I'm not going to hand you like attic tapes and be like, start here. I mean, <laughs> some people did. And they're they're hung up on attic tapes in the self-titled because they're like, this is the best stuff. And it's like because they changed their sound pretty quickly after that. <laughs> they got production values. Yeah, not these just like real scrappy, yeah, country records like with fiddle on them too, because like fiddle disappears from their <laughs> discography pretty pretty soon after that. I love this album. I re-listening to it, I was like, man, I didn't realize I didn't realize how much I loved it. Because sometimes it was one that I forgot about. Like sometimes I would just shelve it mentally with Rebels Rogues, but it's like one of their best albums in their entire discography. And if you look, that's weird. If you look at um, the popular releases on Spotify, the four that they showcase are Tennessee, the self-titled, should have learned by now, but that's there for recency, and the Nobody's Darlings. Weird that the self-titled is up there. I mean, that's cool. Self-titled is great. You know, My Best Girl, Little Silver Heart, really, really good stuff. All sewn up. That's like a show classic. Weird that that was. That, to me, means the early people got in and were like, this is still the only one I listen to. I was doing a little looking around to kind of see what people were saying back during this era. Surprisingly, there are a lot of uh, reviews that you can still read from this time period. All Music said, Lucero's Nobody's Darlings is the sound of the replacements 20 years later, a little more sober and from Memphis instead of Minneapolis. Pitchfork gave it a 7.5 and said nobody's darlings is a sober nod to such disappointments. Lucero are neither critics nor women's darlings, just some guys who play music on a stage, half ignored by the crowd, pleased whenever someone dances along. There was a punk-tastic review from 2005 that said uh, Lucero featured on the recent Atticus Dragging the Lake compilation, which is where I suspect most UK listeners will have had their first taste of the band, which I thought that was just like, they're on an Atticus compilation? I had no idea they were on there. And that'd be it's really funny to think that that's where a lot of UK people heard Lucero for the first time. They don't they don't tour the rest of the world a lot though. They tour the US. Like, I won't say exclusively, but primarily. Yeah, they're a, they're a uh hit multiple cities in the same state <laughs> on the same tour band. They're road uh, and have a good turnout. At all of them, like yeah, no radius uh, clauses. I'm guessing they're like, no people are gonna people are gonna come. It'll be all yeah. right. Well, some people can't come out on Tuesday, so if we play Wednesday, then maybe they can come out. Yeah, like, that's how I decide which Lucero shows to go to. It's like, what do I have to take off of work to go to, and which one is I'm already off that day? 
ah, oh, cool, I can already go to that. I can go on Wednesday. They're going to be in Chapel Hill instead of being like, oh, I missed the Charlotte or the Asheville. Like, they'll play all three cities on the same run. Yeah. Lucero has a weird audience, too. They do. They do. It's um, it's some mixed. punks, punk, you know, punk alt people who, you know, like stuff outside of punk and like Sons of Anarchy yeah. viewers. I've seen a lot of, like, motorcycle vests at Lucero shows. Now they've been on their music has been on Sons of Anarchy. And I, I said this to you last night. There's a movie coming out directed by Jeff Nichols, Ben's brother, uh, called The Bike Riders, which is about the exact same book that the song The Bike Riders is about. And they're on the soundtrack and it's coming out in December. It's like a Chicago motorcycle gang. It's like a, a nonfiction book about them, like a history of this gang. So my guess is Jeff and Ben were both very influenced by that book growing up. It's got Tom Hardy in it doing like a Marlon Brando voice the whole time. (laughs) But also like Austin Butler, the guy who played Elvis, who is stuck in Elvis, like he can't stop being Elvis now. (laughs) Michael Shannon's in it, but you only see a flash of him. So I guess it's like a a supporting role. But Michael Shannon, him and Jeff Nichols have worked together so many times, like. He just gives Jeff. He just gives Michael roles now, (laughs) like in loving. He's just like that photographer journalist that like comes and sees them for like 10 minutes of the movie. The book came out in 68. Danny Lyon. Is it fiction? Is it based on? I think it's nonfiction. It's like a or it's maybe it's like an in cold blood style. Like it's a nonfiction story, but it's written in pro in prose that in like a in like they're telling it like a story i don't know it's like on the road by jack kerouac is in the nonfiction section or is in the fiction section but it's technically not so i don't it's one of those weird ones it's a too much creative license taken for it to be nonfiction. it's a novel i mean really yeah. i guess is really what you're saying it's structured in prose form yeah, yeah. and not not a like historical was he a photographer? Danny Lyon, I think, was a photographer. Published in 68. First hand, the stories and personalities of Chicago's Outlaws Motorcycle Club. To me, it sounds like a nonfiction. Like, uh, features original black and white photographs and transcribed interviews by Lyon from 63 to 67. It looks good. Jeff, Jeff Nichols is an awesome director. I love his movies. His the style of like story that he tends to tell, or at least the way he, the way he tells the stories more so than like the style. Cause there's, he does a couple different genres with his movies, but there is, there's something in the way of the, that his type of movies, Ben's type of lyrics, even Richmond Fontaine's type lyrics. They tell stories a lot in their songs and, and John K. Sampson to a degree too, is the way I always want to write. Cause I've on multiple instances of like tried to write something and I never get more than a couple pages in, but I always like almost start from the same point of like down on his luck, Southern dude in a diner. That's always the opening scene that like I, I write whenever I try and write something. <laughs> and it, and I'm just like in my brain, I'm channeling like Starlight Diner. I'm trying I'm channeling like Mud, the movie, you know, I'm channeling some early uh, like Wire on a Post, um, Richmond Fontaine. It's just like. I never complete anything, but that's always like where my I want to start a story at is that same like lane. So I I love Jeff Nichols movies and his stuff. So if you like Lucero's music, you'll probably like Jeff Nichols movies because also Lucero's music's in a lot of those movies. Yeah. 
yeah lucero is just like i said earlier they're like a top five band for me like and depending on like how recently i listened to them is how high they go in that ranking and then seeing them live like a bunch of times has helped cement that because you know a lot of times it's a lot of times like seeing bands frequently like gives them a boost i've seen them live i don't i don't i don't know the exact number of times but more than five times probably closer to 10 times live but i would have to like actually sit down and try and figure it out but so a lot of these songs are like burned into my brain just from like seeing them live too and i saw ben on one of his bike riders solo tours where he just rides his motorcycle as an excuse to do a tour and uh they did he took like requests from the crowd and somebody said bike riders and he's like oh, oh i haven't done that one in a while and he was just like okay uh bear with me this has got a lot of words and it's kind of fast <laughs> and like he's playing the song he's doing pretty well he like pauses like uh, try to remember the first word of the next line he got to the part in the song where the line is like they beat him with the bar stools he got he just like stopped and he goes he's just like what does the next line go and like somebody in the crowd had to like tell him the next line like they beat him with the bar he's like oh, oh right 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 they beat him with the bar stools and okay 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 and then he like had picked up right back from there. It's just like it, that's a funny one because it is. It's like very wordy. Yeah, it's a it's a story. There are so many words in that song. Yeah. First line: Kathy met a girl met a girlfriend at a place over on Grand. She swore if she got out alive, she'd never go back again. Yeah. But there's there's so many characters' names. Mm-hmm. Kathy's dating Benny. Keeps her by his side. Like. Kathy's walking out the door, leaving Benny all alone. Benny's crying. Kathy, please, baby, not to. like back and <laughs> forth between these characters. This record, this record in particular, has some of his wordiest songs. Yeah, this record also has the war, which that's the song about his grandpa uh, um, in World War, being like in World War Two, and like refusing to. Uh, he like turned down like sergeant multiple times because he would refuse to like send his, you know his troops out to do stuff that he didn't want them to do. You know? Yeah. It's the song about the preacher coming, you know, eat your supper with us. Yeah. And if you've seen them live, you've probably seen them do the war. The war is like a a staple. It's also like the, everybody else go get your, everybody in the band goes and gets their drinks while Ben stays out and does a couple solo (laughs) with the piano. Now it's a song that it's a song. I never really want to hear out of context of the record it's like it's one of the more easily skipped lucero songs if you are just like shuffling lucero songs it's great as the album closer like it's mm-hmm. you ha- like this record is so heavy and dark throughout and then you get to this record and you have these like like in really incredible like emotionally like powerful lines of like it, the really satisfying lines to me are like I get busted back to private again because mm. taking orders never suited me. Giving them giving them out was much worse. And like, I'd be no guest at the table of the Lord. His food was not to be mine because I cursed his name every chance that I could. I reckon that's why I'm still alive. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> that's so heavy. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it's a song I've seen them play literally every time. It's kind of like <sighs> really, really satisfying in the context of the record, but he tends to do it when he does like last pale light. In the, uh, is that what the song's called? Yeah. When he does like his solo record songs, he tends to play that one too. Yeah. There's always like that three strong, three song break where he's just out there by himself. 
Interestingly, uh, so Lucero did a, I guess it was for the 2020 Friends and Family picnic instead of, because they do that every year. And 2020, they didn't do it because of COVID. So they did like a live stream version of it where they just all, you know, they just had a bunch of people play. And uh, they did one. It was like one night it was like all requests. And then the next night was Nobody's Darlings, like front to back, which he said they'd never done. And he's like, some of these songs we haven't played in a long time. And like, we forgot about some of these songs. Um, And so they played the whole record. And he like makes his comments like, that was a good one. We need to play that one more. Like, um, what's the one song he specifically said? We need to start playing that more. And we fell. He's like, we need to play that more. Um, But then he got to the war. He said there's one song on here where he was like, we did that solo in one take. And we said, use that one, you know, like. And then he said they did the war in one take, too. It was like a single take. He's like, it was too emotional to do again. Like, that was his, like, reason for them only doing a one take. He's like, I wish we would have done it again now. But, yeah, it's interesting that even, like, album four, they're, like, doing, like, single take stuff. Like, single take solo, single take entire song. Like, (laughs) they had the time. They were working with, like, a decent producer, you know, well-known producer. So it's like, you didn't have to just do it in one, but they nailed it. So, or they thought they nailed it. Now he thinks they should have done it again, but. Yeah, I love this record. Um, let's rate it at five stars for me. Yeah, probably four and a half, five. It's it's really, really far up there. I think maybe the flow towards the latter half of the record gets a little more uneven. But it is, I think what what throws it off is that you you have like, and we fell, but then you have California, but then you have noon as dark as midnight. You know, it's. There's some pretty extreme like I feel like a song like Last Night in Town shouldn't be so far back on the record. So I think it's mostly just sequencing hurts it. I listened to this record yesterday, half of it on my way to work and then half of it on my way back to work and a little maybe one or two songs this morning. But it really made me think like this this record had the potential to be like a bold sequencing move of hell yeah barn burners on the first half and then like dark dreary downers on the second half and it would have to be a very intentional thing but to be like driving to work driving home from work uh (laughs) commute record of like you're like getting pumped up to get to go and then you're coming home beat to hell (laughs) ready to go to bed uh it could work as on your way to the bar on on your way back from the bar uh (laughs) it's better with Lucero's aesthetic, but still it's great. I mean, it's right up there. It's, like I said, tied for second with two other records. Uh, I love Lucero. So yeah. All timer. Uh, well, th- that'll do it for us. Thank you everyone for listening. Next week is our 250th episode. I'm still not going to tell you people what it's going to oh, be. I'm saving it's, it. It's going to be a surprise. I'm saving it. Uh, I'm not even going to tell you in the Patreon uh, email blast I do every week because I just want you'll see it when it's in the playlist, I guess. You'll see it. You'll see it whenever it's like on your podcast app. You'll you'll see what it's called. But also, you might not realize what it is until we start the episode. So I, I'm not even I don't want to give it away. Uh, it's too good. But you can follow us on all forms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, Facebook, all of them. We're there. Punk Lotto Pod. Dylan's on. Dylan's on all of them too, right? Yeah, he. Yeah, he's on the Blue Ski now too. So follow the Husker Dylan. Uh, God, 
I got blue ski codes if you want them. Yeah. Will you have that in a week? But yeah. <laughs> um, major awards. Bandcamp.com. Everybody follow that too. Major awards on social media too. And yeah, I think they'll do it. Um, punkladdabot at gmail.com, 202-688-PUNK. That's our voicemail line. And uh, there it is. That's everything. Thank you all for listening so much, and uh, we'll see you next week for our 250th episode. To order punk, call the number on your screen. Rush delivery is available. Remember, this special offer is not sold in stores.